Hello, and welcome to the Binary Chain. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined by Tom. Hey, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing doing really well. It's July 4th weekend, which is awesome. I know. Uh, Do you have Monday and Tuesday off? I do. I do. So it's a nice four-day weekend. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's the start of it. And um, we're on day one, so it's, it's, um, a good, a good time to be. Nice, nice and relaxing. Yeah. Happy birthday, America. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's been a little while since we podcasted last, uh, a lot has happened. Um, a lot of kind of quiet things, I'd say. No huge splashes, but there have been a number of keynotes from all the major companies announcing, sort of a ho-hum spectrum of products. Uh, Apple had their developer conference where primarily they had substantial updates to the iPad operating system, adding substantially more multitasking capability. Uh, They announced this product called a HomePod, which is a competitor to an Amazon Alexa uh, or Echo. Uh, It's a smart speaker that apparently has much higher quality than the competitors in terms of its audio quality but of course it has siri which i think is a much worse voice assistant than <laughs> than the than the competitors mm-hmm. um but i think ios 11 beta is really the star of the show uh because of how much it did for the ipads in terms of bringing it closer to a normal computing experience um and it certainly has me very excited i don't know tom what do you think about ios 11 beta um, I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, really, in my mind, there's two there's two branches to iOS 11. There's the the version that's going to be installed on iPads, and then there's the version that's going to be installed on phones. And while I would say probably the majority of features are probably shared amongst both of those two platforms, it seems like the iPad is getting um a number of features i think the most exciting features frankly are probably for the ipad um except for maybe like one or two which we'll probably talk about which are going to be available to both um but yeah as you mentioned that they're really trying to make a case that the ipad can almost be a laptop replacement uh for a lot of people and so what they're doing is they're building a lot of I would say productivity and multitasking features that um, that are needed to make the iPad a bit more capable when you compare it to something like a laptop. So with a laptop, aside from the fact that you can install kind of any piece of software you want without having to go through an app store, um, you know, the biggest sort of innovation in computing was probably a windowing, windowing mechanisms within the user interface. So you can drag and drop and resize windows. You can have one window up at a time, full screen. You can have 50 different windows overlapping. Really, it's you know it's an endless number of options within that UI framework. Uh, with the iPad, you know, or with iOS in general, you're you're generally doing one thing at a time, right? You you have an app open. You want to launch another app. You have to you know press the home button. It closes the app, and you pop another one open. They they've you know, since released some multitasking features where you can do some side by side on the iPad, so you can you know have two apps side by side and resize them, and you can sort of slide an app over to check your messages quickly. Um, and iOS 11 really adds to that um, by um, inter- you know adding some UI features that that really make the the windowing and multitasking a bit more powerful. 
Um, I was listening listening to the Verge cast and um, the other day, and I think they were saying that you could have, you know, three windows or three apps open at the same time. You can have two apps side by side and then slide them over to have kind of an overlaid third. Someone could text you or you know send you an iMessage and you can interact with it above everything, and then you could also have a video playing picture in picture in the corner. So you can actually have a lot of things going on at once. Um, th- a lot of that's not necess- not really coming to the iPhone. So um, it's going to be, you know, really specific to that one device. There's also things like drag and drop uh, that they are adding to the iPad. So you can drag files and images around to other apps, which is which seems kind of amazing that they they layered something i would say that it seems very simple to do on a on a laptop but on an ipad it seems like kind of a a difficult paradigm to implement um so let's see how it works but anyways they're adding that um there's sort of i think maybe both on the iphone and the ipad they're adding an actual file system which is huge so they're doing a lot to to really make the ipad very productivity minded my only concern with it is that you'll have to really relearn how to use it or you know get good enough at using the multitasking paradigm that's very specific to the ipad in order to make the most out of it and i think most people are unfamiliar with how how to do that um i my ipad's kind of old i think i have an ipad air 2 i've had very limited multitasking uh, capabilities on it because it's an older piece of hardware and uh, it, you know I don't really know out of the box exactly how to trigger and really get the most out of all of the all of the multitasking features on the iPad so unless it's part of an ingrained workflow there's a learning curve you need to sort of climb so when you're making the case that an iPad is a can do a lot of the things and help you be as productive as you would be on a regular computer, whether that's a Mac or a PC, uh, you have to take into account the fact that people need to, you know, get up that learning curve, which might be a lot to ask for, for at least people of our generation who aren't necessarily growing up with these devices as their primary computing devices. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think um, there's definitely a learning curve. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a learning curve on an interface. I think that's the trade-off that you need to make for power users to really get more out of it is that it's going to be more complicated. Um, I just happen to think that their situation is lacks focus and is contrived and doesn't really work too well. Uh, the split-screen aspect of it, I think I'm okay with. Uh, that That's well implemented. The way that you invoke apps generally seems, uh, and multitasking, I think that's elegant and works well. Uh, that The... The popover app, so basically you can have, as Tom said, two split windows, like your screen is split, so you just have a, a window on the left and a window on the right, and basically a little border in between them. And then if you swipe in from the left, it's like an app that comes over your other apps. And that just seems really strange to me that you'd want to cover the content of your app, so much of the content of an app that's already split screen with another popover. Um, I guess if it's a messaging app, it makes sense, but it just, uh, it's seems like a lot of mixed metaphors in a way uh they really mm-hmm. need to go with yeah uh one and, and commit to it 
So I don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm really sold on what they've come down come up come down to. You know, there's another thing that they implemented, which is, or, or I, I think tweaked, which is the concept of the dock on the iPad, as well as I guess as well as the iPhone. I don't really know how just to the, just the iPad. And oh, this just, I do like. I mean, this I think is a great change. Yeah, they so, made, it, made it like a Mac. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, just to kind of explain for um, the folks listening, you know, on a Mac, you have that row of, of app application icons at the bottom of your screen. And you kind of have that now on the iPad as well as the iPhone when you're on the home screen. But as soon as you pop into an app that disappears and the only way to get back to it, along with the rest of your grid of icons, is to go, go home. With the new iPad, you are, uh, Apple's allowing you to fit a much larger number of applications into that bottom section um, called the dock. And you, can, you will also be able to invoke it th- by swiping up um, within any app. So you don't necessarily need to go home to, to switch to a different app, which I think maybe... Andrew, in com- like maybe we're the challenge is when we when we're talking about this is we're talking about all these little features in isolation, but maybe when it all comes together, it's more powerful than any individual feature combined. So by that I mean, okay, yeah, you can swipe up to get a dock. That's kind of nice. It's convenient. You don't always have to go home. Okay, yeah, you can multitask a bit in a bit more of a powerful manner than you could before. Uh, yeah, you can drag and drop images or files from one app to the other. Uh, but all these combined maybe lets you interact with the interface in a much more a much more powerful way. So dragging and dropping, you know, if you don't have to go home and you can just drag something down to the bottom of the screen, it pops at the dock, you hover over an icon, that app pops up, and then you drop it there. That, that seems like a much more fluid way to um, to switch between apps or multitasking. The fact you don't always have to be going to the home screen. You can just be popping open apps left and right by swiping up from the dock. Maybe that really increases the speed. So I think I, I think this is all really welcome and and really great, especially because these machines, these iPads, are have become so powerful. Uh, now we just need to, or Apple needs to, get the user interface design working in such a way that can allow people to really harness um, the power of all those apps functioning at at the same time. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I, look, they've definitely succeeded in adding interface complexity that you can effectively leverage, right, to be more powerful and get around faster. And the way that they remember your screen layouts when you go into your multitasking uh, history, you now get, instead of just apps, you get also the kind of Windows setups that you had been using before, let's say Twitter on the left and Safari on the right, or some other maps on the left and something else on the right. And so it comes, it pops those back up. And so I think that, that they definitely have succeeded in that. Um, I think that they're misguided because they think that these features will make this more of a professional computer. Uh, And certainly they're helpful for professionals, but what you need for this to be taken seriously, for this to be a real computer, is the ability to run arbitrary code. Uh, and because everything has to go through the App Store, uh, it's not a real computer, basically. <laughs> it just really comes down to that. You, you can't install 
fun you nobody can properly test the limits and build things out and build fun things that they want that are highly individual uh experimentation is like practically non-existent uh except for people who are specific app developers and that's not the case that on, on pc there's plenty of people working in all sort of sandboxed unique code environments all over the place on on computers for example in excel they're writing vba and little scripts and stuff like that in uh in this like native scripting language there other people are using python for a little thing here and there um some people use matlab and you know all sorts of industries and uh as it stands you can do absolutely none of that on ios and that's real professional work so it's sort of like congratulations apple you've certainly made a shinier flashier thing it definitely works it's a better ipad there's no doubt about that but yeah is that a better computer i really don't think so so well let you're completely correct in its ability you know its ability or inability i should say uh to run arbitrary code is is hugely limiting for so many people in a, in a workplace environment but let's say your needs weren't even like that extreme that you you know you'll say you're a student most of what you're doing well you probably run matlab and maybe some of those other other apps as well but let's say yeah, let's say you're not an engineering student <laughs> okay let's say right you know you're a humanities student um you're writing you know you're writing term papers all day all night uh i you know i have microsoft word for the uh for the ipad as well as apple's pages and i just find that the touch fit like the touch screen interface is just feels clunkier and slower to get things done uh compared to a mouse and a keyboard and i think having the touch screen as an option is great but forcing that as the primary input and interaction paradigm uh is i think is a is a a little limiting i just i just find it i just find it awkward to use those highly you know those productivity apps in that manner and so so if you're using those productivity apps in this scenario i assume that we're kind of discussing it with the the apple uh ipad keyboard attachment case thing uh in mind right yeah so let's say you're okay fine which is terrible by the way as a keyboard is it? Oh yeah, I have not used it. Such it, it's. I mean, it's well made, and it certainly holds the laptop up, uh, the iPad up, better than expected. But I could never type, imagine using that. Yeah, you know, or you just plug in one via USB. You could just get another keyboard and plug in USB. That's fine. Right? And it's it's not kidding. about you can't do that. <laughs> right. Uh, you. I guess if it supports Lightning or you know maybe there's a whole bunch of. I haven't really stayed up on the iPad keyboard uh, support train of products just because uh my ipad is, is just fairly old and i use it for netflix more than anything <laughs> but uh i mean let's say yeah let's say you had a keyboard attached to this thing you're you know you want to type a paper in word uh you know i don't know if you've ever tried like the auto formatting takes over to such a high degree to compensate for the lack of fine controls that you would normally get with a mouse and it's it's frustrating, you know, in terms of like indenting, um, you know, indenting bullet points, and you know, adding rows to tables, and and stuff that you know is fairly easy. It just feels like it takes more steps. And and yes, I I, I appreciate that Apple 
is making the iPad more capable. I just don't know if it's a preferable device to do that type of work on it. I it's good to know say, that it can. Yeah, you know? it, it can, right? But I would personally prefer using Google Docs on a Chromebook over Microsoft Word or Pages on an iPad. Even if the interface is less responsive and you know rougher around the edges because it's a web app, it's a web app that I think works. Like, there are more exposed controls at one time <laughs> that you can just click on because uh, you have a mess uh, and all sorts of things like that. So you can definitely work a lot faster and I just think more comfortably. And a Chromebook's going to have a better keyboard than an iPad. Yeah, in my you know in my mind, the the perfect hybrid device still is a Surface, uh, Microsoft Surface Pro, uh, because it's running a full-fledged OS. It So you can do everything you would normally do. It kind of really just gives you the best of all worlds. Um, although one could say maybe that maybe it doesn't give you the best of all worlds. It's just, it gives you access to all worlds, but it's the worst of, of all worlds because it doesn't do any one of those use cases particularly well. It's heavy as a tablet. It's... Uh, you know, underpowered as a standalone PC, and uh, it doesn't really sit on on your lap well because it's like this weird hybrid. But to me, if you're if you're trying to create a tablet that can really double as a productivity device, that seems like a great a great product. You can slap it in a dock when you get to the office, and it works like a computer. If you want to use the tablet, you can. Uh, it supports, you know, it's because it's just regular Windows. You can install anything you want on it. Uh, you could plug a mouse into it if you want. It really is this this jack of all trades. Um, and then you kind of, you know, the whole laptop aspect. You know, we if you really want that, I would say lapability or whatever that word is, <laughs> like its ability, the level of comfort to use on your lap. You could always make the argument that there's this this product called the Surface Book, which is essentially a laptop where the screen is actually a tablet that clicks into a very sturdy keyboard, making it a clamshell computer. Um, the issues there is that there are complaints that the that the screen is then top heavy because there's so much so many guts in the screen itself that it doesn't actually necessarily sit that that nicely. Um, and then, so what you can then do is go to this third product that they actually just launched, which is on our list here to talk about, um, maybe talking about it a bit early, but is this, is the surface laptop. So I don't know, Andrew, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that product yes. that they announced recently? So Microsoft has been making strange computers for a little while now. Uh, they basically entered into the market wanted to build something on the high end and it doesn't seem like they wanted to step on any of their OEMs and compete with them directly so they took this hybrid strategy where they made the Surface Pro then they made um, the Surface Book was the as Tom alluded to which is the, uh, the laptop where the screen pops out but it, it had a weird hinge and it could, I think it could have been better designed uh, they got a lot right but they got some wrong because they were just making kind of quirky design I guess uh, then they made this extremely quirky uh, 20, what is it, like a 28-inch uh, desktop computer. It looks like an, an iMac on a floating hinge, and the screen can flat, flatten basically fully to the ground, and you can write, draw on the entire screen. Yeah, so that's, a, tablet. that's like a, that's a crazy product. I, I really, 
I really like it. It's it's they built it's it for the mo- no one, but they yeah, know that it's the most appealing no product that I will never ever buy. Yeah, it's it's a very original product, I'd say. Uh, and so after doing all these kind of strange hybrid laptops, they just made a MacBook Air clone. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, Apple has let their MacBook Air line out to basically drown. Uh, they're going to milk that thing until people stop buying it. Uh, and so Microsoft has stepped in and seen the demand and the love for that product and basically made something that was almost exactly alike. Uh, it's made out of a Alcantara leather on the outside instead of, uh, or on the on the, the trackpad where you put your hands. It's and not then, leather, I thought. It's like a fabric. Uh, I think Alcantara is leather. Um, it's uh, like a very low-ply leather. Let me see. I, the the marketing term I keep hearing is oh you're it's, right it's sixty eight polyester thirty two polyurethane okay it's the material they use in supercar dashboards <laughs> yeah seriously uh, I'm not really sure like why that lends itself to being a good surface for a computer but uh, I, I I do think that that you know I haven't touched it in person but it probably does make it more feel more approachable, more personal, and more interesting than just plastic or uh, or even aluminum in the case of the MacBook Air. Yeah. So it looks, I would say it looks good. It has, it's well-built. Everything about it is unremarkable in a very good way. Um, and uh, like they've, they've really done their proper engineering. Everything is properly built. And the, the major downside with it is that the uh, IO the uh, basically the ports that it has available kind of makes it a, a no buy because it has no USB Type C connector on the on the, the device. Do you which, care about that? I mean, yes. really? It, you it, it's it's a requirement that a laptop be sold with a USB Type A port and a USB Type C port uh, because you need to. We're straddling this time in technology where you cannot. If you you can't get away with that without without some USB Type A support, I literally in front of me have a dongle for the MacBook Pro that Mala has um, for USB Type C to USB Type A with something plugged into it right now because you can't get away from it. Um, but also, if you don't have USB Type C, your laptop in five years is going to have some serious issues. Just working in the in the world around you basically i would i would say five years is generally the maximum time frame for a laptop to live but the thing is that at that four four year mark it's having no usb type c is going to suck and the thing is that computers don't age out that quickly anymore and at at four years your computer is not going to be slow is my point uh but you will have a super hard time connecting to just things around you you know uh from chargers like think of all the chargers that are going to be around that are type c right already every macbook pro is a type c charger all google pixels have type c chargers there's a lot of them out there already Um, can you can you explain to me um i know the answer to this but um i probably actually i might not even know it necessarily sorry usb 3.1 not type c sorry oh usb 3.1 yeah this okay yeah so usb type so what's the difference between usb USB 3.1 and USB Type-C. So USB... All right, so basically there is a new connector for USB. 
Uh, it's fully reversible. It is much stronger. It's a much better design. It's tiny. Um, that you can basically take the any USB 2 or USB 3 plug and just change it to this new connector. And that will keep the same internal technologies, but run over the new technology. So the you, new connector, and that was the uh, USB Type-C connector. So the USB A and C is just about the shape of the plug. Exactly, and USB A is the old one, USB C is the new one. Uh, is, there, is there a Type-B? Uh, there is a Type-B, I think. Um, hang on. What happened to that? It's the USC, USB connector that no one even cares about. Oh, yeah, you've seen this one before. Uh, this is port is used for, um, it's a wider USB port. You've probably seen on your laptop. You've some professional work laptop. They're useful for um, connecting like external displays because it carries something else. What the hell? It's something about this. Oh, okay. I call that the printer port. <laughs> no, this, this is not. Uh, this I'm just is, looking it up in real time. Um, oh no, it's not even no, no, that. It's, it's something not, even no, different. No. Okay, I see. Um, it's it's a different it's a different one, but this okay. is sort of completely irrelevant. I mean, yeah, no, it's whatever. totally irrelevant. It looks bonkers, and I guess no one really no one yeah. really uses it. Okay, so that's that's the <laughs> connector. So the USB C is the connector. All right. So then there's USB three, which is the blue USB port that most computers are shipping with today, <clears throat> uh, which gives I think three gigabit per second throughput. Um, and then now there's USB 3.1, which goes up to 10 gigabit throughput and can carry a video signal and uh, can do a couple other interesting things like charging and high, uh, high wattage charging over USB 3.1. USB yeah. 3.1 only available with the USB Type-C plug. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, so Microsoft's rationale, um, I listened to a podcast where... Um, Steven Sanofsky on The Verge. Sanofsky. Uh, yeah, I think it was someone else on the Verge cast. Um, I'm not going to wager a guess because I'm sure I'll get it wrong and just sound like an idiot. So, um, their rationale was it wasn't ready yet, right? Like there's not enough out there today and enough standardization around that, around that plug as well as I guess the technology where it's really ubiquitous. And so they didn't want a situation where, someone tried to plug something in and it just didn't work. And I, I guess that, and they were all, they also defended the surface laptop as the fact that there's, they have this proprietary surface connector and you can get a dongle, uh, to make USB C peripherals work with the surface laptop. And their argument is if you're living the USB-C life right now, you probably have a ton of dongles anyway. So it's not really that much of a, a downside to have that. Yeah. So my, my, I guess my point here is like that's why every computer should have one and the other. And on, from an engineering perspective, there's absolutely nothing preventing that from happening on yeah. any of these computers. And so if, in their case, they're using a USB Type-A. Well, clearly the computer is big enough to have USB Type-C given that USB Type-A is substantially larger. So... They should include both because what is dongle free is not having a dongle because you don't have to have a dongle for either of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, Do you, you, don't, you don't have to, like, let alone a dongle, like you don't have to have an entire dock to use a USB Type-C device. Right. Well, you, you, know what I, you know what I want? I want 
the Surface laptop, but not just in a clamshell, but in a Lenovo Yoga Book uh, type of form factor. So yeah, me too. what that that's... means is basically you could you open up the laptop, but you can actually keep rotating the laptop all the way around so it's on the back side of the case and it can be used as a tablet. And I feel like the Surface Book is light enough where that is that's doable. I feel like the Yoga Book today is still too kind of big and clunky, but for a MacBook Air clone where I can use it as a touchscreen device in the flipped over mode, I think that that'd be pretty neat. Because do you know does the Surface laptop even have a touchscreen? It does, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does, and I think it was a real missed opportunity in not putting one of those convertible hinges in there. Um, but it still seems like an awesome laptop, no matter what. So I think like that. I mean, that's got to be in your consideration set if you're considering a Windows laptop, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, I think that should that that would that's sort. Of, it's it's also well priced. I'd say it's not expensive. It's not cheap. It's just well priced. Uh, but I, I think if I personally, I'm uh, there's something about the Surface Pro, the actual just tablet one that has always sort of appealed to me and I don't I, I, I don't know if I'll be happy with it but Windows has certainly come a long way I could definitely be happy with Windows uh, and I do use my tablet from time to time um, and I do wish it was bigger <laughs> I mean it, it really can pull double duty as a you know all-in-one or adapt to any environment the also, only since all i use my tablet for is browsing the web and it d will do exactly the same job if not way 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 better job of browsing the web uh like i i, I fail to see how how it is not fulfilling the tablet experience for me of course i'm not living like some super ios-y tablet life like some uh well-known pundits are like tech, pun, tech, tech pundits who are all in on it but yeah just if i was it would be even more for me because i can actually get real work done burn guys burn burn, burn. <laughs> uh so okay so back to apple for a second i feel like we didn't actually um talk about everything we want to talk about there i guess there, there's one there's one piece of ios 11 that we did not mention i think it's bare it's worth mentioning it's Apple is including support for augmented reality directly into the software of, of the iPhone. Uh, and what that means is essentially a set of, um, a set of software tools that supercharge the camera such that you can overlay objects into your real the real world as you through your camera so i think everyone's like per fairly familiar with this with ar at, at a very fundamental level if you've ever used um snapchat because with the snapchat app you can it'll detect your face and then you know put a pair of sunglasses on your face and you know you open your mouth and like you barf rainbows or something like that um very <laughs> stuff that adds a ton of value to human society, as we uh, as we all imagine. So when when I first heard about the fact that Apple's layering this directly into um, into iOS 11 and uh, and the camera app, I initially was skeptical because you know to me AR was the Snapchat filter type of technology. I wasn't really sure what else it could be used for. I mean, okay, yeah, sure, you can place you know a virtual 
uh, figurine or Chewbacca or whatever in the middle of your living room um, and take a photo of that. But I don't, I, that doesn't actually provide a lot of utility to um, to humanity, I'd say. <laughs> um, but that being said, since it since the beta has been released, I've seen a number of really interesting apps that have like compl- that have completely changed my mind as far as what this technology could do. Uh, and all you need to do is really kind of just start, you know, uh, brainstorming some ideas, and you realize that it actually is quite powerful. So what someone's been able to do is, you know, create a virtual measuring tape app. So if you, let's say, you wanted to know how wide your desk was, you could open up this app. You would point your camera and your phone at your at your desk, and it you know would show you that on screen. And you would just drag across the surface of um, of your phone, sort of outlining edge to edge how you know the width of your desk. And a virtual measuring tape would pop up and tell you how how wide that is. That's incredibly simple, very rudimentary. It reminds me a lot of like the unit conversion apps that we had for iOS way back when they first introduced the App Store, you know, eight years ago, whatever it was. Um, but something that's, you know, a day-to-day super useful feature that uses technology in a, in a, in a new way. And I think it's, it's pretty exciting that that's going to be available to developers to really tap into who are going to be able to explore you know, just use the, the numbers of developers to experiment with a whole bunch of ideas and see what takes. I think there's a lot. It's This is a, a very clever move on Apple's part. Um, it's one of those pieces of infrastructure, like key infrastructure on the phone that really enhances their lead. Um, I think Google could do this. They're working on something similar with Project Tango, but it's the 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 wisdom in this move is is deep. Uh, let's just say that it's going to really pay off for them in the long run because there's so much that's going to get built on top of this, and uh, they're just making it very easy. And it clearly whatever they come up with seems to work pretty well. So, so what's it doing that that doesn't that's so special that doesn't require any additional hardware to work? I think all they're doing is using um, just complex algorithms to, uh, and m- more specifically, I think they're doing a lot of hardware level acceleration in terms of uh, tracking the environment um, and creating its depth map. So basically, what they're saying is, we're you know we're leveraging all this information that's coming from the camera sensor, and you know essentially giving away our expertise and how to assemble all of the those disparate pieces of information into um, into into pieces of information that you can then use to build your app on top of so that people don't have to go out and sort of engineer all of that from the ground up they're essentially giving everyone a head start by saying hey here's a whole set of augmented reality tools and information about the environment now go actually make useful things with it instead of spending your time developing the augmented reality technology you can spend time developing the applications of said technology yeah exactly and it's it's just makes it a lot easier and much more approachable for anyone who wants to do it and then once you build the customer base, uh, the developer base there, you just get a head start that is it's pretty much hard to lose. And 
one of the things that I lament is that Apple is pretty much uncontested at this point in the phone industry, in my opinion. There was a, a long time when I felt like a bunch of companies could catch up, and I don't think Android's strengths will now be Android's strengths, and iOS strengths will be iOS strengths, and they're, they're, they can kind of chip off each other's block, but there's just no way it's going to... Google's going to be able to be able to approach them. On the other hand, uh, for all these advantages, you know, I have iOS 11 beta, and it is just it's not well designed. Uh, and the the notification system is shockingly even worse than it used to be. Uh, I don't understand why they keep Android does notifications so well, and may, I mean, maybe it's sort of they don't want to infringe on on Google's IP or, or what, but I think they're they, just uninterested in, you know, I think that they, they think it's fine. They think it's fine. Which is too yeah. bad. Cause I think if Scott Forstall was still at the company, this would have been fixed a long time ago. Yeah. There's definitely some weird design choices in, in iOS 11 too. Uh, in addition to the, the, I would say lack of improvement or, or perhaps even backtracking on the notification front, but that's control center. So what you get when you swipe up from the bottom uh, you, you get some. You can turn up, toggle the camera, get to the flashlight, get to the calculator. Things that you know you're repeatedly going to over and over and over again. It's much more robust now, so you can customize it and you can add a much larger number of things to that screen. But it looks like it was designed by a fifth grader. Yeah, it's it's uh, a horrendous inter- interface. And there's these. I mean, I'm just gonna. I don't really need to go describe this for everyone because you're going to, everybody listening, I'm sure is going to see this on their phone eventually, but the volume and the brightness sliders are incredibly non-functional. I don't know what the deal is with them, but they're just, they're tiny sliders and it's like someone, I I had shared around this, uh, something in our Slack. I don't know if if you saw it. It was, uh, the Reddit, (laughs) it was like Reddit designs, intentionally bad volume sliders and this could legitimately be a contender in that in that thread (laughs) uh yeah i don't know and that's that's the thing about about the iphone i mean the hardware is amazing uh although to date it has been incredibly boring for the last um i would say five years or so because there's been not a lot of iteration on on the sort of look and feel of the iPhone, um, I, I don't call a new paint job a you know a yep, huge innovation. That's exactly what I think. Um, and you know, there are certain things that are continue to be frustrating with with the iPhone, like the notifications and these weird design choices they make, which are just kind of bizarre. But it's still such a solid platform. It's so stable, uh, and it has such great support from the developer community that it's kind of hard to step away from. Now, personally, especially once you're invested, I mean, I really, I would love to, you know, be able to ping pong back and forth between Android and iOS as, as I want to, and I probably could do it, but, you know, you got to deal with then not having iMessage, again, which is doable, but kind of annoying. And, uh, you know, everything won't transfer neatly and cleanly over when you go from one platform to the other. So I just, I want the best of both worlds. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. Come on guys. 
Well, um, there was that there yeah. was that point in time, that brief point in time when Apple and Google were collaborating with each other. Yep. It was and then all hopes were dashed and they became vicious competitors. Yeah, good times. <laughs> um cool. So, I think there was a one other thing that we wanted to touch on, right? Yeah, the only other thing was, um, and we'll we'll make this quick because we're about to run out of time. But um, the Xbox One X, which is the next version of the Xbox, it's a bit of a departure in terms of um, in terms of console development process. Because before you would have a console, you really saw the games for it. The next console would come out, it would have all its games, and that was it occasionally you would get backward compatibility where the new system could run the old system games but that was uh incredibly rare the playstation 2 could play playstation 1 games the first playstation 3 could play playstation 2 games but then they later dropped that compatibility because oftentimes it requires bundling the old system inside the new system as well so you have the new system and then it also has like all the old cpus and all the old hardware uh, but at this point in the future, it's so cheap to include it, it costs almost nothing. Here, uh, it is the consoles are much more like PCs. You get a new PC, you can run every single thing your old PC can run. Uh, it's just that now you can run newer software faster than the old ones. And that's sort of Microsoft's uh, approach now to Xboxes, where they're all in a continuous line of improvements that are all pretty much intercompatible with each other because they're effectively running desktop PC hardware that they've customized but instead of using highly specialized software or hardware that that they're that is very specific to their their implementation uh, mm-hmm. they're buying CPUs and video cards from AMD basically um, and I think the you know really the interesting top level points on the Xbox one X is it can run games at 4k yeah high and resolution. It- Yep. Probably not a huge significant upgrade for most people. I know I won't be upgrading. Um, in fact, I've been playing old games, <laughs> let alone new games. I would say that if you do see certain games in 4K is really kind of an amazing sight. It, it does kind of add a level of a visual detail, which is really nice. Uh, it depends how big your TV is. It depends on, I guess, a number of different factors. Um, I think that'd be... I think it'd be I think it'd be great. I, it's, again, it's, I'm kind of with you, though. It's not really enough for me to upgrade. Uh, I still have a PC that is able to run games in 4K. However, based on how I have everything hooked up to one another, the way the PC is hooked up to the TV, it cannot output 4K in um, in anything greater than 30 frames per second, which is kind of painful. Uh, for playing certain certain experiences, so I actually don't really use that feature all that much yet. I'm still waiting for uh, the the weird combination of AV components I have to support 4K and 60 frames per second. But um, the fact that that's available on on a, on a home console, I think, is great. Obviously, the PlayStation 4 Pro claimed to do it, although it was not really really doing it. I don't think it was true native 4K. It was some weird technology voodoo that um, made it close to 4K or seem like 4K, but it wasn't actually rendering at 4K. Uh, but it did look probably, you know, almost as good. So um, the Xbox One X definitely now has a has a, a larger lead, you know, a significant lead on the PlayStation 4 Pro. 
what you know what surprised me so i guess really that's that's kind of all that's really interesting about it frankly what surprised me though was that they did not announce any virtual reality support i was convinced that they were going to do some type of partnership with oculus um allowing that or maybe even some sort of you know vr standard that microsoft came out with to work on on that device because they, they said that it's it's powerful enough to run vr but it just doesn't yeah well they have um their entire windows vr strategy i don't know if you've been following that um where they have a couple of oems making head mounted displays for the native or like windows basically have you have you seen that at all I have, yeah, I've, I've heard about it. So I'm sure, sure they'll yeah. merge those two products, and I, they probably don't feel like they need Facebook at all, so. Yeah, that's true. They had an initial partnership I, they with did, Oculus. They did, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Now they're, I think, trying to diversify away from that, and they have their own sort of VR layer that they're building into Windows. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Um, it'll come to me. And they'll probably, yeah, they'll probably roll that out to the Xbox, and maybe it's because that's not ready, that they're not ready to roll out to the Xbox. Um, you know, obviously, like, the the state of VR is still fairly nascent as far as gaming goes. Um, but I think, you know, once it's on, once it's available to the Xbox as well as the PlayStation, uh, hopefully that will that will drive the industry forward in terms of, um, you know, developer interest in, in VR as a, as a interesting platform to develop for from a gaming perspective. Yep. But Great. a bit of a letdown <laughs> that doesn't have VR. Yeah. I'm, I'm just but, saying. uh, but they'll get there. I think they'll get there when the market, I think proves it out. Yeah. A little more. Right. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all we have time for tonight, but uh, we'll do this again very soon because there's a, a couple other things to discuss. But uh, I think that was a good summary of what's happened. <laughs> the important, the important things. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Great. Well, uh, have a thanks to everybody for listening. Um, have a happy Fourth of July weekend. And, and uh, until next time. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>